You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. All right, guys. So Exodus chapter 34, last week, Daniel did eight verses. And so when he called me this week, he said, hey, um, I need you to finish the chapter. Eight verses. There are 35 verses in this chapter. I don't think that's very fair. Um, so we'll be here until about 830. And I'm kidding. Okay. No, uh, no, 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 no. So we'll be able to do this pretty quickly. So uh, those first eight verses really are packed with some really incredible character of God. Okay. The attributes of God listed right there in those first eight verses. And what an amazing, mighty God we serve. And here's the thing. Moses got to hear God say those things. Moses got to experience God in his mercy and his grace and and all of the things that we see at the beginning of this chapter. Moses got to be a part of all of that as he would stand and experience God one-on-one on top of this mountain. And now you know why we're here, right? It was actually a piece of ugliness that got us here in the first place. You know, that's just the reality sometimes. We live in a fallen, broken world surrounded by fallen, broken people. And sometimes it's the ugly situations of life that get us into the most intimate places with Jesus, isn't it? Sometimes it is the most ugly places of life that get us into the most intimate times with Jesus. And Moses in this moment, is going to go into an intimate time with his creator because of what happened at the bottom of that mountain. Now, those of us that have walked through really terrible situations in our lives would never wish for that situation to happen to anybody. But they would wish that people could experience the intimacy that you find with God when you're coming out on the backside of that terrible situation. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. No one wants anybody to experience the pain that you felt when whatever happened in your life. And I can imagine that when Moses walked down that mountain, after being on that mountain, getting those Ten Commandments, all of that stuff happening in his life, and he walked down and he saw that golden calf, and he was so angry because how could they? Right? I mean, come on, y'all. He had been spending this intimate time with God, one-on-one, on on the top of the mountain, and he walks down, and he sees these people worshiping, I mean, his own brother. What was Aaron thinking, right? And he throws down the Ten Commandments. He just threw them down. He broke them. He shattered them, right? Right? Think about that. There's something truly symbolic about that. They had broken the law. They had broken the very thing that God wrote on those tablets. And Moses came down and he shattered them. So there's, there's something there. And so he goes right back up on the mountain, right? And God said, at this point, now this mountain is covered. And if even the sheep graze on the edge of it, they'll die too. Nobody comes near. And it seems a little harsh. But Moses, here's the thing. Moses goes up on that mountain and God immediately starts to share who he is. He starts to share about his grace 
and his mercy. And and here's the beautiful part of this relationship that Moses and, and God have together. God in this moment is reminding Moses who he is. You know those moments when Moses comes in and says, hey God, remember the promise that you made to these people? Remember the promise that you made to these people? This is the moment where God says, hey Moses, I know you're mad. I know you're mad and yes, they have sinned, but listen, they've sinned against me. They've sinned against me, God. They've sinned against God. And remember that I'm gracious and I'm merciful. And I'm abounding in love, some translations say. Abounding in loving mercies. How beautiful is our God. And in verse 8, and I love this, I, I, I went back and stole this from uh, Daniel's passage of Scripture because it's not fair. He took the good one. Uh, and Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and he worshiped. So God tells him all about who he is. And Moses falls and he goes down and he begins to worship. And he said, now, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For if it is a stiff-necked people and pardon our, for it is a stiff-necked people, pardon our iniquity, our sin, and take us for your inheritance. And he said, behold, I am making a covenant Before all your people, I will do marvels such as never been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Whew, got through all the ites. Take care, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars, break their pillars, and cut down their ashram poles. For you shall worship no other God. For the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifices to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after the gods, and make your sons whore after their gods. I feel like I've been cussing in church, y'all. I had to say that word three times. <laughs> we use the ESV here, so I just got to go with it. I wanted to use a different translation that didn't use that word so much, right? Glad the kids are out, right? So listen, PG-13, right? I should have prefaced the message. This is a PG-13, right? So what we have here, guys, we see God's mercy in action. We see God's mercy in action. Moses worshiping with his face to the ground. This prayer is so, it reminds me so much, if you've ever read the book of Daniel, if you've ever read the book of Nehemiah, these prayers that these men of God pray. And I wonder if Daniel and Nehemiah looked back at Moses to learn how to pray like this. They said, hey, this is a stiff-necked people. This is a stiff-necked people. Forgive us us for our iniquities for we have sinned against you Moses was on the mountain Moses was in the presence of God 
while the people made their, their calf at the bottom, their golden calf. And Moses says, forgive me, forgive us, because I'm guilty too, Lord. I'm guilty too, right? And so you see Moses' humility in this moment as he comes, because here's the reality. When God puts people like Moses in positions of leadership, okay, they stand in accountability for those that they lead. And so Moses says, me too, Lord. Me too. Could he have easily said, God, those stiff-necked people you gave me, right? Go all the way back to the book of Genesis. We, we jump right into the blame game, don't we? God's walking through the Garden of Eden and he says, Adam, where are you at? Like God didn't know. He was waiting for Adam to just respond and tell him. He says, Adam, where are you at? Over here, Lord, I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? He said, you've eaten from that tree, haven't you? Lord, it's the woman you gave me. Eve said, Lord, it's the serpent. And the serpent said, Lord, it's you. You made him. Your fault. Right? It's the blame game. It's not me. It's not my responsibility. It's because of them. Nope, nope. It's not my responsibility. It's because of them. But that's not what Moses does. Moses says, Lord, forgive me. Forgive us. Because we have sinned. We have sinned. We have sinned. And, and God says, I'm going to renew the covenant. I'm going to renew the covenant. The covenant I made with Abraham the covenant, you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, and he says, I'm going to renew that covenant. Yes, you have sinned. You have. But you know what? I am gracious, and I am merciful, and I'm going to renew the covenant with you and with this people, and I'm going to take you into the land, and we're going to defeat everybody. And you could see it. As you read through this passage of Scripture, and God is speaking to Moses, there's a sense of excitement. There's a sense of excitement as you read through this passage of Scripture. And he says, observe what I command you this day because I'm going to drive out before you all the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, okay? Uh, and now I can't say them, right? The Hivites and the Jebusites, right? And he says, I'm going to do something awesome among you. I am going to blow your mind, I'm going to do marvels that people haven't even seen before. This is going to be amazing, Moses, because you've come before me, you've repented, you've come humbly in my presence, and you've repented, and I'm excited now what I'm going to be able to do with you and these people. What a little bit of repentance and humility can do, right? Isn't that awesome? That we serve a God that when we come humbly into his presence, he says, yes, I'm so excited about what I'm going to be able to do with you. I'm so excited that you've humbled yourself and come before me. I'm so excited that you've recognized what Jesus was teaching in Matthew chapter 5 when he says, blessed are those that are 
poor in spirit. You are bankrupt before a holy God. You have nothing to bring to Him but humility and repentance. And when we do, He says, yes! Now I can use you and this is exciting. Oh, the things I'm going to do with you. I'm going to blow your mind. Marvels and wonders awesome things the way the word awesome should be used a word that we've thrown around so much in our culture it doesn't have that same meaning but when God's using it here he says I'm going to do awesome things you mean things that make our jaw drop down and go are you kidding and he does that's the beautiful thing that's the beautiful thing God, a God of mercy, merciful and gracious, and he puts it into practice immediately. Now watch what he says in this passage of scripture. In verse 11, he says, observe what I tell you to do. Observe what I tell you to do. Obey me. That's what I need you to do. You've come to me the right heart, humble and repentant. Now obey me. I'm going to tell you exactly what you're going to do and I need you to obey me. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, this is a great verse. It says, has the, Lord, has the Lord as great delight, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. God is seeking obedience. He's seeking obedience. More than anything you can bring to Him, obeying Him is the most important thing that we can do. When God calls us to move, we move. And that's exactly what He wanted the Israelites to do. And He says, I'm going to take you into that land, and I'm going to blow your mind, but you've got to do exactly what I tell you when I tell you to do it. Otherwise, you're going to miss it. Otherwise, you're going to miss it. And as long as they did... They got it. And it was awesome. Awesome things. Marvels. Think about the stories that you know about when the children of Israel moved into Canaan. The very first story when they crossed the River Jordan is Jericho. Right? A city that was fortified. And, and, and really, I've been to Jericho. And you can see this tower in the ground that they believe is over 10,000 years old. This is one of the most ancient cities on the planet Earth. And they say, God says, I'm going to take you in there. Well, that's a fortified city that's going to be hard to conquer, especially with a bunch of people that are not trained military. They've been walking around the desert. They've been fighting, right? But they're learning as they go. And it's going to be tough, right? And God said, oh, no, 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 no. Let me explain to you exactly how you're going to do it. Every day you're going to get up and the priests are going to lead and you're going to go out and you're going to march around the wall and you're going to come back to your tent. And nothing's going to happen. This sounds like a really good plan, God. I'm excited to be a part of it. God ever tell you to do things that are not very exciting? He's like, this is what I want you to do. And you're like, that's not very fun, God. 
What about throwing rocks at the wall until it falls? That'll be fun. <laughs> he said, no, I want you to walk around it. Just one time. And he says, and on the seventh day, you're going to walk around it seven times. And the Ark of the Covenant is going to lead the way. And then you are going to blast the horn, okay, on the seventh time. And all of the walls are going to come tumbling down. Lord, hold on, Lord. Wait, 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 wait. I've had some engineering classes. That don't make sense. There is no amount of horn blowing that can tumble walls down. And I've been there. The walls are thick. Lord, I think your math is wrong. And he says, that's what I want you to do. Just march around it. That's all I want you to do. Blow those trumpets when I tell you to blow those trumpets. And it happened, just like he said. And then there's, <laughs> y'all, and this is crazy. And there's some science behind this, all right? There's a battle in the book of Joshua where the sun stood still. It didn't set all day and all night so that they could keep on fighting so that they could win the battle. Marvels and awesome things God was going to do. Marvels and awesome things that God was going to do. So God gave Moses all these instructions and he says, obey me when you enter the land or if you don't, you're going to end up making a covenant with the people of the land and you're not going to receive the blessing that I want you to receive. Guess what they did? They made a covenant with the people of the land and didn't receive the blessing that God wanted them to receive. The tribe of Dan goes in and God said, this is where the tribe of Dan gets to be. And they were there for a little while and they were like, these people that live in that part of the land is really hard. They're not giving up. This is hard. You know, there's some really good land in the northern part of Israel. And, and if you guys send some people up there, do you know that the people up there in the northern part of Israel, they don't really have armies. And so they're not really going to fight against you. They're just going to kind of turn it over to you. And the tribe of Dan said, that sounds so much better. Let's go up there and make that our territory. And so they march up there and they make that their territory. And the people up there go, we don't want any problems with you. You can stay in our land. Just sign a treaty with us to say that we're allowed to be amongst your people and your people. We can just kind of cohabitat in this area. And they go, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. God literally just said, don't do this. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. How many times do we do that, folks? God's word all throughout says, don't do this. And we go, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And we watch as marvels and wonders transpire in our life when we obey the Lord. And then we get to this one thing that's a little harder and a little more difficult. And we go, you know what? I think maybe if I just compromised a little bit, this would be a lot easier. And God said, don't do it. 
This is exactly what I told you not to do. And you go, well, God is gracious and merciful and forgiving. And really and truthfully, I can worship God anywhere, right? And he says, don't do it. Don't do it. And so he warned them, and they didn't. They did exactly what he told them not to do, and they were there for a season, and they went, you know what? It takes a long time to travel to Jerusalem to do offerings three times a year. You know what we should do? We should make our own altar up here. That way we don't have to travel to Jerusalem. We can have an altar up here. We can invite our neighbors to come and do sacrifices up here. This is a really good idea. And if you go to Israel today, you can actually see the place where they made that altar. And they duplicated the bronze altar that was in the temple. And they said, you know, it's inconvenient to go worship God the way he called us to. Let's do it our own way. Let's do it our own way. <clears throat> we need to obey God. He desires obedience over sacrifice. And when we obey God, he will do awesome, marvelous things in your life. Awesome, marvelous things. Verse 17, it says, You shall not make for yourself any gods of cast metal. Why do you think he said that first? That's the only one of the Ten Commandments that he repeats immediately. He does talk about keeping the Sabbath, right? But he says, first thing out of his mouth about the Ten Commandments that he's giving to Moses all over again on new tablets is, don't make idols out of cast metal, y'all. They just did it, right? It's kind of like your kids. When they do bad things, the next time they go out, you're like, okay, let's remember the things that we don't do. We've learned our lesson, haven't we? We're not going to, now repeat after me, we're not going to make idols out of cast metal. We're not going to bring all of the gold and stuff that the Egyptians gave us and melt down those earrings and necklaces and all of that type of stuff and make ourselves a golden calf. Now, are we? Right? We do that as parents, okay? You shall not make for yourself any gods of cast metal. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I have commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib. For the month of Abib, you came out of Egypt. And that opened the womb are mine, all your... All that open the womb are mine, all your male livestock, the firstborn of your cow and sheep, the firstborn of donkey, you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not... Re if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. All the firstborn of your sons shall be redeemed, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. You shall observe the Feast of Weeks, the first fruits of the wheat harvest, and the Feast of Ingathering at the year's end. Three times in a year you, all your males shall appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel." For I will cast our nation before you and enlarge your borders. No one shall covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. 
You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leaven, nor let the sacrifice of the feast of Passover remain until morning. The best of the firstfruits of the ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words have I made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. This section, it's a reminder. It's a reminder of the things that we've already learned. It's a reminder of the things that God has called them to do. He says, hey, you blew it. You came to me humbly in repentance. Now I just want to remind you of the things that I've called you to do. I want you to celebrate these festivals because these festivals remind you of who I am, okay? The feasts and the commandments, the feasts and the commandments. God highlights the feast that he's called them to do, the commandments that they were to obey, right? Of course, he put that emphasis on no idols right away. And the other major one that he talked about was to remember the Sabbath because he knows that's going to be one of the hardest ones for us to follow. Rest, rest. It's so hard. And you're like, yeah, but no, I lie. That one's hard for me to follow too, right? Yeah, of course, right? But you're way more conscious of following that one and keeping that one and repenting when you make a mistake. But we're not when we don't rest, are we? We're not very conscious of the fact that when we don't rest, we don't go before the Lord and say, Lord, I've put other things ahead of you and I'm trying to provide in my own strength is why I don't take days of rest. I feel like I have to work seven days a week, 24 hours a day to make ends meet, which means I'm not depending on you and your provision, and you own everything. And he says, I'll do awesome and wonderful and marvelous things if you obey me. But if you don't, oh, I'm not going to cast you away. I love you, but you're going to miss some blessings. Parents, think of it as being grounded. You're going to miss some blessings. What are you doing, Christian, over there? I'm kidding. Uh, it's probably this thing. Every time I wear this thing, it, it crackles on me. Okay? All right. Let's talk about these four feasts, okay? Uh, he mentions four different feasts here. He talks about three of them. Three times you should go down. Remember I told you the tribe of Dan is like, I don't want to go down. We can just do a sacrifice up here, right? It's because God called them to go down during this time, right? And so the four feasts that we're going to talk about is Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Ingathering, or the Tabernacles uh, that we're talking about. And there are seven total feasts mentioned in the book of Numbers and Leviticus, okay, uh, and throughout the book of Exodus as well. So seven total feasts that the Jewish people have been called. Uh, but these three in particular, God has focused on, okay? We know the Passover, and please, you can, this is one that's really interesting, and I've done a lot of study on the feast, and it's really fascinating because the Passover one of the fascinating things about the Passover is it's very specifically on the 14th day of Abib. It's one day, okay? So it's not the Feast of Weeks. And people join those two together all the time because the Passover is the first day before the Feast of Weeks. So you have the Passover day on the 14th of Abib, and then you do the Feast of Weeks after that, okay? So that is, the, I mean, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. I keep saying Feast of Weeks. It's seven days following 
the Passover. It's unleavened bread. And now you see the Jewish people today, they merge those two holidays together and they celebrate the Seder dinner. But before they celebrate the Seder dinner, which is Passover, okay, they clean their house and get rid of the leaven and get everything prepared and do the whole ceremony as part of the Seder dinner and then do the seven days after that. And most people will say that the Feast of Unleavened Bread is an eight-day festival starting with Passover. But that's not really how it's written in Scripture. In Scripture, the Passover is its own separate feast. And then we move into the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is a seven-day feast that represents the idea that there's no sin in the house. Now, we know what Passover represents, don't we? The lamb that takes away the sins of the world. This is Jesus on the cross. This is the blood upon your doorpost of your heart. This is directly a correlation to the work of Jesus Christ and his redemptive sacrifice for us. Okay? And then as we get into that, when you become saved... Okay, that salvation process, all right, the idea of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is that, that we're removing sin from our lives. We're getting rid of sin because you guys know, right? You get saved. And most of you guys have this testimony of when you came to the Lord and when you came and you repented and you said, Lord, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And you are the creator of the universe and you came and you died for my sins. And I receive your sacrifice and I repent of my sins. You know when you did that, most of you. And you know that you woke up the next morning after that day and you were still a sinner. And you still had sin in your life and you still struggled with sin and you still had problems. Right? Very, very few people have I met that God took away certain sins instantaneously. Most people will struggle with and continue on in their sins after they get saved for a season. So this idea, okay, of this seven days following the Passover, which represents salvation, is cleaning the sin out. It's a process. Getting the sin out. Now, we know that that's pretty much a lifelong process for us, right? Okay, so this feast of unleavened bread that God... So he's focusing on these three primarily because they point back to salvation at some level. They point back to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And if you don't think God was thinking about that when he started telling them, focus on these three primarily. I want you to come down. There's a sacrifice involved at the beginning of every single one of them. At the beginning of all of these festivals, there's a sacrifice involved. And then they go through this period of these seven days. The second one is the Feast of Weeks. Now, most of you guys would know that is Pentecost because it comes 50 days after the Passover. The Feast of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit coming upon the church in the Feast of Pentecost. Okay, So it is a single-day feast. Okay, that happens 50 days over Passover, and it is the moment when the Holy Spirit came upon the church and established the first church. Okay, so you can see the importance as we look back at these feasts of how God was prepping and foreshadowing the work of Jesus to come. Okay, and the last one, I love this one, the Feast of Tabernacles, the ingathering. So every year, the Jewish people, okay, and this was towards the end of the year, harvest time, our version, the closest version that we have of this is Thanksgiving. 
Did y'all know we're about to celebrate the Feast of Ingathering? Do you know the whole reason that the, uh, that the pilgrims and the Native Americans came together to celebrate the Feast of the Harvest is because of this biblical feast that they had read about? The whole idea of Thanksgiving is based on the idea of the Feast of the Ingathering. When it's time to harvest the crops, bring all of the first fruits of the crops and have a big meal together as a community. And now for the next seven days, I want you to make temporary dwelling places that you will sleep in, you and your whole family, while you harvest the field. That will take away the travel time back and forth to the house. It's not like Little House on the Prairie where the house was right in the middle of the farm. No, you had a plot of land that was away from the city, away from your house, and this was your family's land. And when it was harvest time, you go out and you take palm fronds. Yeah, we could do this. <laughs> and you make yourself a shelter for you and your family to be able to sleep in, right? And so it's likely when you read the book of Ruth that they were in the feast of the ingathering and Boaz is staying in a tabernacle. That's what they called them, little tents, tabernacles. That's what the word means. It means to dwell in a temporary dwelling place. Now, I believe, okay, the idea of this, we know that Jesus tabernacled among us. He dwelt in a temporary dwelling while he walked among us, correct? But I also believe that we're in temporary dwellings. You're in a temporary dwelling place right now. And here's the thing. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. You have been left because you think about it, right? Imagine this, because it seems glorious. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. I accept you as my Savior. The work that you did on my cross to pay for my sins, I accept you. Boom! I'm with Jesus. It's awesome. See you, suckers, right? Why? Because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. The harvest is prepared. You've been left in a temporary dwelling place to gather the harvest. We live the feast of the ingathering. And we should live it with thanksgiving. You see how I did that? I took the American holiday with the Jewish holiday and I said, this is cool, right? That was just on the moment. Y'all should be impressed. Okay, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, right? So they're beautiful foreshadowings of what God was gonna do. And he said, celebrate these feasts and obey, come down, do these things, make the sacrifice, move into this feast and celebrate this feast because it's a beautiful picture of what I have for you. It's a beautiful picture of what I have for you. It's a picture of redemption. It's a picture of living the abundant life in Jesus. The Lord reminding them to follow his commandments, reminding them to follow his feast. He was reminding them who they were, who he is, and that they were called to worship him. That's what he was reminding them. Because when we forget to worship him, we'll build our idols and begin to worship them. Jim Gallagher gave me a 
outline of the entire Bible as I was preparing for my Old Testament survey class. And he said, yeah, use it, whatever you want. And, and in it, I found this in the book of Leviticus. It said four basic principles regarding worship. And I th think this is beautiful because it, it's from this passage of Scripture. It says, I mean, it's not, but it, it's from Leviticus but it refers back to this passage of Scripture about never come empty-handed. Worshippers never come empty-handed. Never come empty-handed. Offering means brought near. That's what it means. Brought near. Offering was costly. The poor had to substitute birds because they didn't have enough money to buy the lambs or to raise the lambs, so they substituted birds. It was costly. And worshiper was actively involved in the process. We must be active participants for there to be true worship. You have to be actively involved. We worship, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, you worship by being a living sacrifice. You do not come empty-handed. You bring everything that you are to the table to worship Jesus. And you say, here I am, Lord. As the song says, here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Right? We love those old school songs. We bring our first fruits. Whatever it is, whatever we have, we bring our tithes and offerings. We bring anything that we have, okay, that we can come together in community while you're here. Why you go to community groups. When we come together in community, when we bring of ourselves our offerings before the Lord, He is pleased and we are obeying Him. And that is true worship. That is true worship. Let's finish this up real quick. I know it's getting late. So uh, it says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of testimony in his hand and he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterwards, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Well, I guess the Hebrew word there for shining means shot out rays of light. It doesn't just mean it was glowing like a glow stick, y'all. It means it's like radiating beams of light. Okay. And so there's some translations that, that call it horns of light, like shooting out from him. And there was a mistranslation several years ago when I was studying this. It was really funny. Uh, they, somebody took that and, and decided that Moses had horns. And there's a whole series of, of paintings in a time period of the church where Every sculpture of Moses is with horns. All the paintings of our horns. And it's directly from this. And so, um, and I, Christy's back there shaking her head as an artist. Uh, she knows of these uh, because this mistranslation of these radiant beams of light. So when you think of this, don't just think, hey, his shining face, okay? 
it was dramatic. It was like rays of light coming from his face. And so uh, Spurgeon, uh, who I love Spurgeon, he says the radiance of Moses' shining face was a reflected radiance, a received glory. The source was the face of God. And as Moses communicated so directly with God, his face received some of this shining glory. The face of Moses shone because he had long looked upon the face of God. Wow. Radiating glory out of the face of Moses. So much so that when people were around him, they were like, hey, did you know you're shining? And he's like, what? I'm shining? Did you notice that? Moses didn't know he was shining until people told him. Man, I hope somebody has to tell you you're shining. Because you know what? When we know we're shining, we've lost our humility. But when we humbly come before the Lord in his presence and somebody goes, Hey, man, you're shining. I see Jesus all over you. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Now, we think in our minds that Moses veiled his face because he didn't want to freak people out, but actually the Apostle Paul in Corinthians will tell us that's not why. It's because it was actually fading. It was fading. And he was a little bit embarrassed. My shining face is fading. And he was embarrassed, and so he began to cover it up. He began to cover it up. Listen, if your shining face is fading, don't be embarrassed. Don't cover it up because it will only lead to it going out. You get on your face before the Lord like Moses did on that mountain, and you say, Lord, I'm here to obey you. I am a sinner, and I am in need of your presence. Radiate through me like you radiated through Moses. Don't cover it up. I'll finish with the heart of David. I love this psalm. When I think of prayer before God, Moses was in God's presence. Therefore, he radiated God's glory. Psalm 27, 7 through 9. The English Standard Version says this. He says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. And my heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O oh, you have, who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O oh God of my salvation. Seek my face. You have called me to do, Lord. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Your face, Lord, do I seek. I went back and read the middle of that again because it's so beautiful. Psalm 27, verse 8. Seek my face, said the Lord. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. We're going to do communion. You can go on and come up, prepare for communion. I'll put the elements in the back. Man, pray that prayer. Maybe you need to go into the presence of the Lord first. And you say, we have sinned against you, Lord, wherever you're at. But man, what a beautiful prayer. Lord, you have said in your word, seek my face, and here I stand to seek your face before I come into communion with you, before I join my brothers and sisters in celebrating the work that you did on the cross to allow me to seek your face, Lord.
Show me your face, Jesus. Show me your face. Lord, your face I seek. Let's spend some time seeking the face of the Lord. If you're new here, communion's for the body of Christ. It's not just for one church or another church. It's for all those who call themselves followers of Christ. So we invite you to join us in that because we are brothers and sisters. If you know Jesus, you should partake with us because it was his blood, it was his body that joined us together. Not any specific church, but him dying on that cross for me and for you to allow us to come into his presence and to seek his face. Let's seek the face of Jesus together.